Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and The Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, July 2nd, 2020, broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. I hope all of you have a safe and happy July 4th weekend. Wear your masks. Tonight, we talk about orphan debts and the fact that even if you call it a loan, your obligation was never sold or purchased. There's no question now about the coming wave of foreclosures. It's happening. But thankfully, it's being delayed by extensions on moratoriums for foreclosure and eviction. Here in Florida, the governor has just extended it again. You need to check with your state and local lawyer to see whether moratoriums apply to your transaction. This is the time for preparing for how you will deal with the coming claims to bring your payments current or else face foreclosure. It is even probable that as soon as foreclosure firms get the green light, they will just start the process by sending a notice of default and then filing foreclosure papers. And remember that moratoriums do not cancel or even postpone payment obligations. They only postpone enforcement. So when the moratorium is over, if you were already in foreclosure, it'll just go forward. And if you don't do anything, the foreclosure sale will be consummated. If you were not yet in foreclosure, but you were already served with a notice of default before the moratorium began, the foreclosure will go forward when the moratorium ends. If you only stop paying during the moratorium period, they will send you a notice of default as soon as the moratorium ends, and then they'll proceed with foreclosure. In some cases, I could see how they might send the notice of default Uh, even during the moratorium, as long as that's not seen as enforcement. Unless you have asked for and received a forbearance agreement that, for example, puts your payments off to the end, the banks will use all available procedures to enforce the note and mortgage against you. They want to because it is free money to them, and that's the rub. So that gets us to the subject of today's show, which is the real status of your obligation. People often ask why the banks are so quick to foreclose when it depresses the value of all their collateral in the area of the foreclosures. The answer is they don't care about the value of the collateral because they don't own it. 
They don't own the mortgage. They care about getting a foreclosure sale because that is the first and only step they are taking that gets legally sanctioned. They need that because most of what they had previously done is plainly illegal and just plain wrong. They want the foreclosure because it seals the deal. And when all is said and done, they get the money from the sale of the house and they keep it. Not to pay down your debt, they just keep it. Homeowners who have not had extensive education, training, and experience in the world of finance miss the point completely because they still think that their transaction was a loan and they think that the law firm coming after them is doing that for someone who is losing money because of their non-payment. It just isn't so, not legally, not actually, and not by any standard using common sense or generally accepted accounting principles. That's hard to grasp, not only for homeowners, but for lawyers who are attempting to represent them. The problem for lawyers is that without the background in finance, it's almost impossible for them to analyze the situation. The reason that the banks are able to go after you, the homeowners, is that the banks wrote the rules. But even the rules the banks wrote and which the legislature and the courts are supposed to enforce are not the rules that the banks are following. The rules for enforcement of a security instrument for a debt say that you must have paid value for the debt. Article 9, Section 203, Uniform Commercial Code, adopted in all U.S. jurisdictions. Very simple, right? If you want to enforce the security instrument, you must have paid value for the debt. That's it. That's the rule. My opinion backed by 14 years of research and securities analysis specifically on this subject and my background on Wall Street as a security analyst and investment banker is that you probably have what I call an orphan debt. This is a unique animal created by Wall Street. And from it, they made incredible amounts of revenue and profit, most of which they never paid tax on. Based upon the filings with the SEC and other documents I have reviewed over the years, I'm quite certain that what I just said is completely true. This is the result of an intentional avoidance of lender liability for violations of federal and state laws. It is also the launch pad for issuing and selling securities that were falsely premised on ownership of the debt. So what am I saying there? What I'm saying is that they were selling securities based on the premise that somebody owned the debt and that the securities they were selling were related in some business way to that ownership of the debt. 
And what I am saying is there is no one who owns the debt because if there was, they would be a lender or successor lender and they would be subject to claims of violations of the lending laws, inflated appraisals, et cetera, viability of the debt. That's all on the lender. The cases I have won as a lawyer were entirely predicated on my belief that the foreclosure bill bringing the claim for foreclosure did not have a client who was a creditor or even could be a creditor. I won because I knew the documents had to be fake. It wasn't that I suspected it. I knew they had to be. Why? Because the only party who ever paid value were the investors, and they didn't get ownership of any debt, note, or mortgage from any homeowner. They never got it. They weren't intended to get it. And they don't get the money from foreclosure or even collections. And I'm quite sure that this is true for nearly all present foreclosures. Foreclosures today are business ventures for the participants, not any attempt to give back money to anyone who paid value for the debt. That's nearly impossible for homeowners and most lawyers comprehend how that could be true. And yet it is. It is true that the money does not go back to anyone who paid value for the debt. It does not go to cure some financial injury or loss suffered by anyone as a result of the non-payment. What does the non-payment do? Well, it just stops paying on a debt that isn't owned by anyone. Now, could they reform the agreement? Possibly. And that would make the debt enforceable. But right now, in the absence of a creditor who owns the debt, they rely on fabricated instruments containing in complete lies, all fake information, false information, forged documents, and uh, something very close to perjury in court. As Rinaldo Reyes of Deutsche Bank put it so many years back, it is all very counterintuitive. I say that's another way of saying that it is intentionally confusing. And in that goal, the banks succeeded. They confused the courts. They confused homeowners. They confused lawyers who represent homeowners. They confused the regulators. They confused Congress. They confused state legislatures. They confused everyone. And in that confusion, everyone started using the labels that the banks wanted them to use, which gave rise to assumptions about the transaction that were not true. Here's what happened, and you can check this out for yourself by going to the source data on sec.gov and several other sites on the Internet where the banks tell a different truth than the one they imply in court. What they say in court is a lie. 
and your reliance on their lie will cause you to lose title and possession of your home unless you pay up. But if you pay up, you are paying ransom, extortion, not a debt. You're paying because of coercion, not because you owe the, the claimant any money. You don't. I'm not saying you don't owe any money and that there couldn't be a creditor, but somebody has to be appointed as creditor, and that creditor better be someone who paid value for the debt. Otherwise, Article 9, Section 203, Uniform Commercial Code, they cannot enforce. And by the way, unless they own the debt, they can't claim injury. What injury do they have from non-payment if they don't own the debt? And this is true, even where securitization is not evident, but still occurred. Like, for example, the Chase takeover of Washington Mutual or the J.P. Morgan takeover of Bear Stearns. In both cases, the homeowner obligations were subject to claims of securitization, which means that they were claiming the the loans were sold by WAMU, Washington Mutual, or Bear Stearns, long before either of those companies were taken over. But both Chase and J.P. Morgan have initiated foreclosures in their own name as though they were the creditor. Well, what did they get from Washington Mutual, who by its own account did not own the loan, didn't own any loans? It immediately, according to them, securitized. Securitization means splitting up an asset and selling it to investors. Your loan was never split up and sold to investors. There's not a single investor that owns your debt, your note, or your mortgage. Nobody can own your mortgage unless they own the debt. That's established law in all jurisdictions. It's actually theft and completely unconscionable overreaching by the investment bank. When they get the money, they don't record it as as revenue, but they don't record it as payment of a debt either. Crazy, right? It appears that for tax purposes, they're treating it internally as repayment of a debt or recovery of a debt on behalf of another, but that's not true. They don't record it as payment of a debt because they're not carrying your debt as an asset on their books. So there is no account to mark down when they get the money. Where does it go? It goes into various suspense and other operating accounts. In other words, it is pure, untaxed profit. When an investment bank starts the securitization process, they sell IOUs to investors. These are commonly known as certificates. Sometimes they're called mortgage bonds. They're not bonds. They're IOUs, and they are unsecured, and in reality, they're backed only, not by a trust, which is there in name only, but by the investment bank. The investors pay the investment bank for the IOUs. That's the only time in the whole process that anybody pays value for anything. 
That IOU is an unsecured promise to pay that is actually discretionary on the part of the investment bank. The assumption that the loan was securitized is wrong because no homeowner transaction was ever sold to any investor. Therefore, by definition, it could not have been securitized. Therefore, any claims arising from presumed securitization are completely false. So the investors pay money and they do not get any right title or interest to your debt, note, or mortgage. Who does? Well, the originator of the transaction gets a note made payable to the originator, even though the originator didn't give the homeowner any money. The originator then gets a mortgage or deed of trust securing the obligations of the note. The homeowner executes those two instruments believing that the transaction is a loan and that the originator is a lender, but it isn't. The money was funneled down from what the investors paid to the investment bank, and only a portion of that money was used to fund loans. The rest was kept by the investment bank. So you think it was a loan, but would you still think so if you knew that the originator was just being paid a fee for standing in for a concealed source of funds? You have a right under the Truth in Lending Act to know who you're doing business with. That's the point. You have to have choice. Would you still think it was a loan if you found out that the role of the creditor was eliminated by the process they're calling securitization? That's right. Would you still think it was a loan if you knew that the actual source of funds was neither a lender nor subject to statutes governing lending practices? And would you still think it was a loan if you found out that the only reason why they went into this transaction was not to make a loan, but to launch a process of selling securities based on your signature, on your note and your mortgage. Did you get paid to do that? Well, they say they gave you a loan. So they gave you money and had to pay it back. So did they pay you to launch their securitization process? No, they didn't. Are you entitled to share in that process? Yes, you are, under quantum merit. The real contract would show that at the beginning there was no meeting of the minds because the homeowner wanted a loan and the investment bank wanted a transaction that it could securitize. So in quasi-contract, the court takes all the circumstances, and then says, okay, here's what everybody should get and gets all the stakeholders in one place. So, yes, you wanted a loan and you intended it to be a loan, but they didn't. They intended a sale of securities emanating from the appearance of a transaction with you that they labeled as a loan but they didn't maintain the debt's existence on anyone's books, and they didn't intend to make a profit except from the sale 
of securities and collection of money that was indexed but not dependent upon money collected from homeowners. Nobody loses money when you stop making payments. Nobody. There is no loss recorded anywhere. This might sound like a bunch of legal mumbo-jumbo to you, but consider this. Do you think you owe money to someone who has already received payment in full? Do you think you owe money to someone who has no absolutely no financial stake in your debt? Someone who will neither make nor lose money by you paying or not paying? I think you would be willing to say that you owe money to someone who steps up and said, I paid for this transaction. But nobody does because nobody did. The money taken from investors went to the investment bank and not to you. The investment bank used that money to fund your transaction, but not as a lender who might be liable for lending law violations, but as an investment bank, which is what they were. By separating your obligation from the paperwork, they were able to generate anywhere from 12 to 40 times the amount of your transaction in actual revenue received by them. In virtually, I mean, how do, how do you think they paid all those wild bonuses and salaries in in uh, in eight figures, and sometimes nine figures, to people who were making uh, a tiny fraction of that before? It's because the pot was so big, there was so much money in it that everybody was in the green. Except, of course, the only two real parties in interest, which were the investors and the homeowners. In virtually all cases, they instantly made more money than what was paid to homeowners, but they could not earn that kind of money if what? Only if the the homeowner started the ball rolling. Did the homeowner get anything for that role? No. In my opinion, the homeowner is clearly entitled to receive something. So the law says that if you want to transfer a security instrument, mortgage or deed of trust, then you must also sell the underlying obligation if you own it. And as we have just seen, nobody purchased the underlying obligation of the homeowner. Nobody who paid any money ever received a document saying that they had purchased your debt or purchased your note, or purchased your mortgage. That never happened. That's right. Here's what the banks did. Anyone who paid value never received any interest in the homeowner transaction. So all the investors paid money, but they never got any direct or indirect interest in any homeowner transaction. They didn't have any right to collect and they had no interest in the mortgage or note or the debt. Anyone who received a document of conveyance saying that they owned the debt, the note, or the mortgage did not pay value. Such documents are void, not voidable, in all U.S. jurisdictions. It's like some stranger deeding your property to someone. There is nothing to stop them from executing such a deed, but the legal effect of the deed is zero. Same with assignments executed by multiple intermediaries 
none of whom have any right to do so. The receiver of the assignment gets nothing. That's how I won my cases. How are the banks successful at collecting and enforcing? Simply by deceit, by trickery, by deception. All their documents are fake, forged, and backdated to suit their desire to collect on an orphan debt and make windfall profit doing it. So what's a person to do? Well, you start with setting the stage for an effective challenge to the banks. And yes, you can win, and many homeowners have done so, although most of them are hidden under non-disclosure agreements. How do you set the stage? Start early. Get them committed in writing and establish early that they're being evasive about answering a simple question of who owns the debt, who is uh, who has bought the debt as an asset, who is your creditor. You send a qualified written request under the Real Estate Settlement and Procedures Act. You send a debt validation letter under the Federal Uniform Debt Collectors Procedures Act. You follow up with complaints to the Consumer Financial Protection Board and the State Attorney General Consumer Division. If you aren't in litigation, you well, if you are in litigation, you will most likely lose if you do not aggressively and persuasively pursue discovery on the central issue of ownership of the debt, which identifies your creditor and attacks the foundation of the case against you successfully because it undermines the named creditor as being the, uh, the named claimant as being the creditor. The banks are betting on one thing, that you won't dispute their claim. So far, 99% of the time, they're right. It's that 99% that sets the consensus view that these cases are unwinnable. But everyone is basing that on a lack of contest rather than confronting the banks. If you look at the cases where the banks have been confronted, the numbers change considerably. Uncontested foreclosures account for nearly all of the foreclosure sales. The banks point to them as having won, despite the absence of any defense, and in many cases, the absence of even an appearance by the homeowner. When homeowners do contest and persevere to the end of litigation, they win more often than not because the documents are fake, yep. The documents are void, the arguments, the testimony, and presentation in court is completely intended to deceive the court and, frankly, you as a homeowner and your attorney. Whether you fight or not is a personal decision that you should make after consultation with a knowledgeable attorney. But realize this, if you don't fight, If you don't fight, you are giving a greedy investment bank a windfall profit. You are not paying back anyone for the money you received. You are not giving in to a lender. You are giving in to a robber. That's it for tonight. Tune in next week for information and news on the greatest economic crime in human history.
The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.